Good morning, everyone. That was a hearty good morning. Appreciate that. If you could open your Bibles to the book of James. I have good news this morning, other than the sun is shining, the snow is about yay deep. Marvin, your prayers are working. It's not this deep, it's this deep. Um, But we're in chapter 5. That's the last chapter of the book of James, and everyone said, amen, (laughs) we're done with this, let's go on, except maybe Evie, because she does it all summer, so we can stay here forever, right? (laughs) Okay, so our, uh, we're looking at the whole chapter, uh, the whole chapter, uh, all, it's for 20 verses in chapter 5, we'll look at the majority of them, we won't focus on on every one of them, but uh, our title today is Patience uh, in Difficult Times, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, expedition that we've been on, and it's been a while, Lord. It's been months and months and months to to go through the book of James. Lord, thank you for patience from the congregation. Lord, just thank you for helping us expound uh, upon your word uh, that James wrote to the uh, 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. So, Lord, we give you Absolute praise and allegiance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our verse today is James chapter 5, verse 8. So that is our, our, our verse for the sermon, but we're going to cover a whole lot more. We'll also do a recap a little bit of the first four chapters. So you're going to get the 50,000-foot view today of chapters 1 through 4, and then a little more in-depth in, in chapter 5. So... It's there on the screen, or you can go to James chapter 5, verse 8. Very short. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So I have, if you look at the screen, I have two words underlined. And this is going to be a focus. So as we run through chapter 5 today, let's please think about the two things that are going to drop in below this verse here on the screen, patient and established. So we'll start with patient, and hopefully you can read that a little smaller print. The Greek word for patient, it's uh, in Strong's uh, G3114, markothymio, if I have that right. Basically, it means to be long-spirited. There we go. Forbearing, to bear or suffer long, of course, patience, to endure. And then some of the examples down on the bottom, to be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. So now it says, if we look at the top here, you also don't lose heart. If you look at B on the bottom, to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. That is not easy. When others offend us, when others threaten us, when others injure us, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, happens all the time, right? More on the emotional side. We are to be long-suffering. So let's look at establish. We have to be patient, and we know that. So establish, a little smaller print, I apologize. Sterizo is the Greek word. 
That's G4741. It means to set fast, to establish, of course, to confirm, to strengthen. And then at the bottom there, number one, to make stable. We're to make stable our hearts. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're to render or to strengthen or to make firm. And number three, we're to render constant. We're to confirm. We're to be not just established in our hearts, but in number three, it also says one's mind. So I'm going to interchange that a little bit as we go through this. So we need to be long-suffering. We need to be patient. But we also need to strengthen, to set fast. And what I think about is concrete. You have fast-set concrete, and you have concrete that takes longer. Uh, you can buy different types of concrete. Um, some of it sets in 20 minutes or less, if you get you know, the, the, the fast-set concrete. Um, others, it takes a little while longer. So I would say let's get the fast-set, <laughs> and let's fast-set our hearts and our minds. Why? And that's the latter part of verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So as we go through this, as we go through these first four chapters, very high 50,000-foot 50, level, and then we'll get into chapter 5 and dig in a little bit deeper, um, let's keep these two words in our minds. Let's keep long-suffering, endurance, patience, and then set fast and strengthen our hearts in our minds. And you'll understand as we go through the context and I think we'll, we'll get a good picture of what James is doing. So let's go back. You, uh, I'll read. I don't have the verses on the screen, but I'll read them from, from the Bible here. So chapter 1. If you have the New King James, some of you do, you'll notice what I'm going to put on this screen. I'll call them subheadings, but it's divided out uh, in the New King James. A lot of different versions do that as well, where they'll have a chapter, and then it'll say something about that section. And they'll go to another section, still in the same chapter, and there'll be another subheading about the verses after that. We're going to go through the subheadings through the first four chapters. But in, in, in James chapter 1, verse 1, we see the greeting to the 12 tribes. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So the context is who did James write his letter, his book? Who did he write it to? He wrote it to Christians who are of Jewish heritage, who are Hebrew, because they're part of the 12 tribes. And where are they? They're scattered abroad. So they're scattered abroad in the diaspora that happened after the resurrection, because I believe James was written in the 40s to 50s A.D., so these tribes were not necessarily in Jerusalem. So where were they living? They were living in a Gentile world. So they lived where? Ephesus. All the cities. Corinth. Philippi. All those cities that you can think of, they were scattered abroad. So that gives us context of who, so everything we read is written to believers, just like the believers in Logan, in Lancaster, in MacArthur, wherever we all may live. Next, it's profiting from trials, and we see that in verses 2 through 4. Verse 2 says, My brethren, confirming written to Christians, right? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's one of our key words, right? The testing of our faith produces patience. Why? But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James, are you telling me that I can be perfect in my here in my flesh? Now, he's not saying that. <laughs> the word perfect, I don't have it in Greek. It means to mature. And hopefully we can all look at our Christian lives and our Christian walk, and we can see that maturity process, uh, that, let's say, sanctification that takes a lifetime. And so that's what he's talking about there. Our next one is the perspective of the rich and the poor. If you were in Sunday school, Evie kind of preached this part for me. So thank you, Evie. That was great, <laughs> talking about the rich and the poor. But we are going to see that in chapter 5 as well, but we're not going to focus on that. So that's in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. God does take a lot of interest in the poor and in the rich. And we'll see a little bit of that in chapter 5 as well. The next one is loving God under trials. And that, we'll just look at one verse, is verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, our sermon text, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We've seen patience here in chapter one, but we also see establish our hearts in chapter five, verse eight. I have a question. Is it hard to establish your heart when you're not patient? I'd say it's extremely hard. Now let's look at it from the other side. Is it hard to be patient when you're not established in your walk with the Lord? It's almost impossible. Amen? This all goes together. The next part, qualities needed in trials, verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, again, speaking to believers like us, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Back to chapter 5, verse 8. Does the wrath of man, is he patient? No. Is he established in his heart? Is he established in the word of God? Is he firmly set? No. So, what's that tell us? We, we did this in a message quite a while back. Quick to hear, different version, slow to speak, slow to anger, or slow to wrath. And then the last one in chapter 1 is doers, not hearers only, and that's in verses 22 to 24. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I would say that that man that looks at himself in the mirror goes away and forgets what he looks like. In chapter 5, verse 8, his heart and his mind is not established. 
it's not set firm. So we see the connection there as well. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 has two sections. I'll go ahead and put them both up there. There we go. Beware of personal favoritism. And that's in, uh, there's a lot in chapter 2, but we're only going to look at two verses, verse 1 and verse 9. So chapter 2, verse 1 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And we discussed that God is not partial. We should not be partial as well. And then in verse 9 it says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we heard that admonition, admonition about not showing favoritism. And then the last part of chapter 2 is faith without works is dead. And that's in verses 14 and 17 of chapter 2. Verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, again, speaking to the saints, then and today, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And in verse 17, very short, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Chapter 3, has anybody thought, wow, I wish Jim could have did it this way six, seven months ago. We could have got through James in, in one setting. So I like it when it takes a long time. So chapter 3, the untamable tongue, verses 6 and 9 and 10. So chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. It's pretty strong, very strong. And now verses 9 and 10. With it, referring to the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it, again referring to the tongue, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Heavenly wisdom versus demonic wisdom, verses 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, we saw that earlier, and without hypocrisy. And I'll add verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there we saw traits of those who live their lives based off of demonic or worldly wisdom compared to those who live their lives based on 
heavenly wisdom. And now we'll go to chapter 4. Pride promotes strife. Verses 4 and 6. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Before we go to verse 6 there, that word enemy, again, I have it written down in the footnotes here, it means adversarial. It also means odious or repugnant. So those who have friendship with the world, I'm not discussing just if somebody, you know, the guy or, you know, the lady at the, the grocery store and you see them every time you go there and you say, hey, how's it going? And you get to know him to strike up a conversation. We're not talking about that kind of friendship. We're talking about the type of friendship where then you start running with them. Then you start doing the things that they do. It's that type of friendship. And you have a change of allegiance. It's that type of friendship we're discussing. And also verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The next one we have is humility cures worldliness. And that's verses 8 and 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'll go ahead and read verse 9 as well. Lament, probably because of the Psalms we looked at today. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So again in verse 8, we're to draw near to God. We're to humble ourselves, cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, is it hard to purify our hearts when we are not patient or when we're not established in our hearts and our minds? I would say extremely hard. Again, back to chapter 5, verse, verse 8. And by doing all those, we humble ourselves, as we see in verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Allow the Lord to promote you. Don't promote yourself. It's a lesson I've had to learn many times in my career. The third thing we're looking at is do not judge a brother, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12 as well. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So we're not to judge a brother. The next one. Do not boast about tomorrow. Verses 13 and 16, 17. Verse 13. I'll probably read all of that. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go, we will go to such and such a city Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Do not boast about tomorrow. And now we're in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 in the subheadings is divided out four ways. And if you look at it, these are very different topics. Uh, We mentioned at the beginning of the message, rich oppressors will be judged. That's in verses 1 through 6. And then be patient and persevering in verses 7 through 12. Patient. There's that theme again. The third one is meeting specific needs, verses 13 to 18. And lastly, and it's only two verses, 19 and 20, bring back the erring one. So let's go ahead and read through the chapter, and then we'll hit on two of these. And I will probably get you out early today. And everyone said, (laughs) amen. Okay, here we go. James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a like or with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, 
and the earth produced its fruit. The last two verses. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. On the slides there, we see, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I was, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, I was had a private conversation with Mike, and I discussed this verse right here. I said, Mike, I, I was listening to a message of a former pastor of mine. Uh, I think he used to be Mary's pastor as well, Chuck Smith, and I was listening to him talk about that verse. And he told a story. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> he told a story. It's not a true story. So what I'm going to say is not an actual event, but it illustrates this so much. Because as we read this, just a pure reading of this, and, and just this, this verse here about confessing your trespasses to one another, sometimes people would read that and they would go, so does that mean I'm just supposed to go up to somebody? Tim, I've been a bad man, and just tell everything to Tim, okay? I guess if I trusted Tim, but here's, here's the, the story. There's a pastor's conference, not the one we're going to in a month here. <laughs> there's a pastor's conference, and all these pastors are there in the sanctuary, and there's a message, and the message is on James chapter 5. And the speaker gets to this verse and talks about confessing uh, sins or trespasses to one another and praying for each other. So they decide, let's gather into groups. Okay, you see where this is going, right? So three pastors who didn't really know each other that well, they didn't, because this is a conference probably spread throughout the whole country. Three pastors are, and let's say they're down here in this first pew. And so... It's a breakout session, right? So there's pastors, all these groups of pastors all throughout the sanctuary. And these three gentlemen down here, one is totally convicted, totally convicted. And he says, brothers, I, I have to confess. I am really struggling with alcoholism. I cannot control myself with alcohol. And I don't know what to do. If I were to take you back to, uh, to the church and go into my office, you'd find a bottle in my desk. And the other pastors are like, this heartbroken, heartbroken. And so they pray about it. And then the second pastor, because I'm sure the first pastor is like looking at them like, what's your secret sin, right? Second pastor breaks down. Oh, guys, I'm really struggling with women. I'm actually having an affair with somebody in the church. Hopefully there's context on the video on that. I am not having an affair with women in the church. <laughs> Just thought of that. Somebody could take a snippet and go, that's a bad guy. It's a story. <laughs> I'm having problems. I'm in the middle of an affair. What do I do? The other two pastors... 
again, heartbroken, just as much with the first pastor admitted the issue that he was dealing with. And they pray. And, of course, the other two pastors are looking at the third pastor. And then the third pastor just, he breaks down crying as well. And he's, man, guys, I have a really, really bad problem. I struggle with gossip. And I can't wait to get out of here. A cheap laugh could be true, but that was not a true story. So when we read this, confess your trespasses to one another, I just want to say it this way, to somebody you trust. To somebody who has patience, right? To somebody whose heart and minds are firmly established in the word of God. To somebody who would lift you up and not tear you down. To somebody who wouldn't just run and tell the whole world. Just wanted to address that because I know sometimes if you just do a precursory reading of that, it sounds a little strange. So we're going to go back. James chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. Let me read this real quick and then we'll go through it. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. There's two verses in a row. Now this second one here that I just read is our text. But there's two, there's two verses in a row right there that discuss patience. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So in verse 8, which is the middle one there, we see that the Lord is at hand. And in verse 9, he's actually, the judge is standing at the door. So I didn't underline, I did underline grumble. They didn't have it on my note here. Grumble, the Greek word is stenazo. So when we think of grumbling, what do we think of? Tim, I'm going to pick on you because you're to my right. And I look over there and I see you. So stand up straight. Here it comes. Let's say I have a beef with you. I don't, but let's say I did. It could be valid. It could be not valid at all. Okay. Let's say it's not valid. And I'm just like, every time I see you, I go, or I sigh, or I murmur under my breath. Oh, Tim. Can't stand being around him. Or I groan. I go home and I get in the car with my wife and I'm like, Driving, that Tim, oh my gosh. Stenazo, I gave you an example of stenazo. Stenazo means to sigh. How many times, even though we haven't, and I don't have any beef with Tim, I love Tim, but if I did, how many times have we had something where somebody's wronged us and we just, you see them and you just think, and then you go on, Wow. The judge is at the door. He's even looking at our size. He's looking at those little groans. So when we think of grumbling, we think of speaking and yelling, complaining. But it's a whole lot deeper than that. Is it easier to grumble or harder to grumble when we're patient? Is it easier to grumble? Is it harder to grumble 
when we're firmly established, as we see in verse 8, establish your hearts. You make the decision. I think you all know the answer. Verses 13 through 16. I'll get there myself. Is anyone among you suffering? Rhetorical question right now. Is there anyone here who is suffering? Statistics would say yes. Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Statistics would say yes. Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Attendance today would say <laughs> yes. And statistics as well. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And back to this again. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In the last part of that verse, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you look at the screen, you will see I have some words underline once, and other words underline twice. Why is that? Okay. It's so I can get it right in my head, right? <laughs> the ones that are underlined once, suffering, cheerful, and sick. Let's call those conditions. Okay. Is anyone among you suffering? It's a condition. Sick, it's a condition. It goes away. Cheerful, it's a condition. We know we're supposed to be joyful, and happiness is more of an emotion. Joy is more of an inner condition, but cheerful. But what do the words that are underlined, what do they have to do with the words uh, underlined twice? What do they have to do with the words that are underlined once? So we'll start in verse 13 at the top. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. What is pray? Prayer. Say it out loud. It's action. So where you see two lines, that's action. Who initiates the action? in pray, sing, call, the one who has the condition. So let's use me as an example. If Jim is suffering, let him pray. If Jim is cheerful, let him sing psalms. If Jim is sick, let him call for the elders. So let's go a little deeper. Verse 13 at the top. Is anyone among you suffering? The Greek word for suffering is kakopatheo. I had to practice that a little bit this weekend. Kakopatheo. What does it mean? Afflicted? Suffering hardship? To be troubled? 
The root word, this is a little harder to pronounce, for kakopatheo is kakopatheia. goes a little deeper. It means suffering from evil. More of a spiritual impact there. So we read verse 13 again. Is anyone among you afflicted in any way? Is anyone among you suffering a hardship? Is anyone among you troubled? Is anyone among you suffering from evil? What do we do? What does what do we do? Let him pray. I didn't really dig too much into the word cheerful. Well, let's just call that joyful. What should they do? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. It's not that verse, another verse. Let's go to verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? The Greek word for sick is ashtoneo. It means weak, feeble, diseased without strength. So I'll ask this question today, rhetorical, for all of us. Is there anyone here in the congregation at Turkey Run, is there anyone among you who are weak? Is there anyone among you who are feeble? Is there anyone among you who are diseased? Is there anyone among you without strength? What's the action? Call. I looked up the Greek word for call. This is harder to pronounce. Proskaleomai. Proskaleomai. This is what it means. To call to oneself. To invite. And it actually said in Strong's, it mentions that God called the Gentiles to himself. That's the word that was used probably in Romans. God called the Gentiles to himself. So when we look at suffering and we look at cheerful, Tim said it's an action. It's praying and singing, right? And praising. Adoration. In what direction does that action go? For those who are suffering and those who are cheerful, where does that action in that direction go? It goes, thank you. Jonathan got it. He put his, you did that, right, Jonathan? It goes up. Look, let him pray. I'm not going to pray to the elders of the church. I'm going to pray to God. If you're cheerful, sing psalms. Where does that go? It goes to God. However, in verse 14, if you're sick, the action doesn't immediately go up. Where does it go? You can say it goes out, horizontal. It goes out. And there's specific people identified where that action goes. And it says, let him call. Go back to Proskalein, Leomai. <laughs> To call to oneself, to invite, please pray for me. 
That's the, st- that's the, the, the stance, the position. Just as God called the Gentiles to himself. So just to recap that, when we're suffering, we go to the Lord in prayer. When we're cheerful, we sing to the Lord in songs, in psalms. And when we're sick, we invite people, namely, in this case, the elders, to ourselves. Why? I've said this many times, and I know you know this. When we come to God... For salvation, we come as an individual, one person. Remember, God has sons and daughters. He doesn't have grandchildren, grandsons or granddaughters. You don't inherit the faith, Christianity, a relationship with Jesus. You come to the Lord individually. But once you're in, you know what I mean, once you're in the body of Christ, there it is. You're in the body. You're a member of the body. If I look at my body, I have hands, feet, toes, fingers, eyes, ears. It's not just one. The body of Christ is not just one. It's the body of Christ universal. So that means we live in a community. We live in a fellowship. And God has ordained that we live this group together here. So what do we do with this? Thank you. <laughs> Action. This side of the bill, this side of the congregation seems to get it. Action, action. No, I'm kidding. Kidding. I always sit over here too. <laughs> application. So what's the application? This is the application. We got about 10 tails, so we're great on time. Marvin's going to lead us in the doxology. Right, Marvin? Happens every time I'm up here. (laughs) Marvin's going to lead us in the doxology, and when we're done singing in the doxology, I'll pray, then we'll do the doxology. When we're done singing the doxology, everyone is dismissed. For those of you who could say, I'm suffering, I say to you, pray to God. I'm not saying it to you. James chapter 5, verse 13 says that. If anyone's cheerful, anyone out here cheerful? Let them sing psalms. Psalms. That's what we did earlier with Dustin playing. But verse 14, that's the application today. If anyone here is sick and you would like to call action and draw the elders unto yourself, just as God drew us to him as Gentiles. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Sounds interesting. You mean if we pray for a sick person, they're also saved? Salvation? That's why I went back and did the context of the previous four chapters. This was written to believers already. These people already are members of the body. So the word save is, the Greek word is sozo. It is the same word for salvation, but when you look at the context, we're talking about restoration, healing. Again, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
And then in verse 16, confess your trespasses one to another. And that's where that forgiveness comes from. We're confessing to the Lord, but we're also confessing to our brothers and sisters. So could everyone please stand? So what we're going to do is we'll pray. We'll have the doxology. You're dismissed. The elders and who are available, the wives who are available, will come down here to my left, your right. And if anybody here desires to be anointed with oil and prayed over, we will apply James chapter 5, verse 14 to this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your glorious word. We thank you for the book of James, Lord. It teaches us so much about patience, about trials, about endurance, about establishing our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, it discusses very difficult issues of rich oppressing the poor, issues of people who are afflicted, diseased, tormented, troubled, and just flat out weak, feeble, and without strength. Lord, We are all like that in our lives at some point, or have been. And we will all struggle, Lord, with sickness. We will all struggle with feelings of weakness, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical. We all fight that battle. I pray, Lord, that you are in our midst and that you honor your word today. We look to you. It's your word. It's not ours. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.